Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Oliver Kay, Stuart Robson, and making his seasonal debut, the pride of Merseyside, Mr. Tony Barrett. Very packed show today, obviously, with the news of Wayne Rooney possibly falling out with Manchester United, the Liverpool Derby and John W. Henry taking over, and as revealed in the Sunday Times, allegation of cash for votes from two FIFA executive committee members. We're going to start today on Merseyside, Everton, and Liverpool. Now, um, since there isn't much going on at Liverpool, uh, Ollie, I'm going to start out by asking you about Everton. Um, I thought with a lot of uh, a lot of players missing, among them, uh, of course, uh, Marouane Fellaini and, and, and a bunch of others, um, they came out of the gates very strong, and uh, probably maybe showed John W. Henry in the stands that uh, you know pedigree only counts for so much. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you look at if you look at Everton's performance, I mean, Roy Hodgson was suggesting, you know, afterwards that it was um, that Liverpool were hard done by. I didn't think they were at all hard done by. I thought Everton were by far the better team in the first half. They were two 0 up after 50 minutes, deservedly so. And I thought they they were comfortable, not overly stretched, overly exerted after that. And uh, you, you look at from one to eleven with Everton, from you know, well, you look particularly at someone like Phil Jagielka or someone like Mikel Arteta and Yakubu up front, who I thought had the best game I've seen him have for a long time. Um, I thought Everton were were better all over the pitch, and that, that, I mean, you say it's not all about pedigree; it's, it's it's about attitude, it's about energy, and it's about quality. And um, Everton looked better in all three of those departments. Stuart, since Tony doesn't like answering uh, questions about Everton, I'm going to ask you. Um, uh, Yakubu, uh, you know, he he's had his injuries, he's on and off. Um, but when he plays the way he did, he did yesterday, where he gives you the, the size, the the, the, the strengths, um, the, the 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 pace, it's kind of hard to stop. He certainly is, but he actually worked hard at his game yesterday. That was the, that was the key because quite often he looks lazy, doesn't make movements outside the box, he can be easily knocked off the ball. But yesterday he looked as though he wanted to play, and Everton all round the pitch they won the battle. And you have to earn the right to play, and Everton earned the right to play right from the first minute. And Yakuba was one of those players. Used his strength, he made good runs, he backed into the to the opposition centre half. He did everything right in the game, and he was the was the leader really for for Everton to to get in and around the box. So I just want to ask you about one thing that. This thing which was replayed endlessly on match of the day where um he where, where, where 
Yakubu broke, mm. and then uh, um, I, I think it might have been Skirtle he knocked off. Or, no, it was uh, or, it was the uh, midfield player, wasn't it? Ralph Marylish, yeah, who I think gives gives away about forty pounds from. Yeah. Isn't that a kind of a foul when you don't when the ball's on the other side of you and you just uh, barge it? You have to be within playing distance of the ball to be able to have a, to use your shoulder and, and barge somebody off the ball. But I, I quite like that. I thought he looked, he looked strong, <laughs> yeah. he looked aggressive, and and, 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 and Morelos knew it was coming. He should have been stronger and stood up to it, but he didn't do so, and it, it, it looked that was the difference between the two teams. Not just the quality of the football, but who wanted to win more. Everton wanted to win the game more. Um, possibly waiting for a foul there. Okay, uh, sorry Everton fans, but um, I hope you'll appreciate that this week is a bit of an unusual week. So that's us done talking about uh, Everton today, uh, unless Tony's got something very significant to say. And instead, Tony, I want to ask you about this. Um, after the game, Roy Hodgson came out with some unusual comments. Um, he, he said that uh, Liverpool played well. Um, and then he said, would be sad if I had to shoulder all the responsibility for what's gone on, especially in light of the players' performances, which kind of seems to be a contradiction. I mean, if did they play well or did they play badly or, or what? I, th- I think he was caught between two stools just simply because he was trying to protect the performance and defend the performance that was indefensible. But equally, he doesn't want to show that all the blame, as he says. He wants he wants to see a spread. So he d- he wanted to protect the players, but he also wanted to protect them pl- uh, himself. And it was just it was impossible to do so. Liverpool were wretched. The tactics were well, the tactics were non-existent. Liverpool did not have a strategy. There was no clear plan set out. There was no idea of how they were going to get from their own box to the opposition box. And so there was there was no strategy. There was no teamwork. There was no there's no great attack and threat. There was no organisation defence. And so so when he tried to defend it, I just think he got himself into a terrible muddle where he would have just been much better coming out and saying, look, we played really poorly today. I'm the manager. I take responsibility. And left with that. But would, you, he, he, would you agree with me, Tony? When I mean, he, he said he said afterwards that that was our best performance of the season or something like that, with the second half performance. I actually think, and it's, it's an indictment, right? I mean, I'm not saying he's deluding himself here, but it's an indictment uh, of Liverpool this season that that was one of their best that second half performance was just about as good as they've played in some ways no I agree agree 100% and that, that, that's the most frightening thing of all the fact that that was up for debate Liverpool didn't score a goal in the second half they conceded one they, they didn't play particularly well they didn't have a great threat Everton allowed them to have possession because as David Moyes said he didn't see a great threat coming from Liverpool so so when you put all that together, and that is apparently the best Liverpool have played, that that is a frightening concept. But it is it, there is some reality to it because apart from 15 minutes in the second half against Arsenal, it, that's Liverpool. Every team who played against Liverpool this season, including Northampton Town, have been the better side. Stuart, uh, now the, the the prevailing narrative seems to be, and we've touched upon this in weeks past, that this is all Rafa Benitez's fault. Um, but I can't help but look at this group of players and mm. and see that, on paper at least, it's the same guys who finished second two years exactly, ago, yep. minus Chabi Alonso, minus Mascherano, minus um, Insua, who nobody liked anyway, uh, minus uh, uh, Ben Ayun, who was, on, was mostly on the bench, but plus... Uh, Glenn Johnson, who for better or worse yep. is the England right back, plus Raul Merilesh, who costs t- 10, 11 million pounds, plus Christian Poulsen, who uh, Hodgson seems to love, plus Joe Cole, who the whole world mm. seems to love, uh, uh, plus uh, uh, Jovanovic, who isn't a bad player. Uh, does the buck stop with, with Hodgson? 
Or is it all Benitez's fault? I don't think it's all Benitez's fault by any means. I mean, I think there's a malaise at Liverpool. The, the players don't seem to have a good team spirit. From what I hear, the players aren't particularly keen on Hodgson at the moment. They, but players always do that. When they're not playing well, who can they blame? They blame the manager. But it doesn't look uh, as though they've got a really good, great strategy at the moment. When we've seen uh, Roy Hodgson before, when we saw him manage it from, you knew exactly what his team was trying to do. Whether it was defending, whether it was attacking, you knew their system, you knew the formation they were playing. I can't see that at Liverpool at the moment. I can't see where Steven Gerrard's meant to be playing. And yes, they was meant to be playing behind the main striker, Torres, but then he, when the game sort of started to disappear, he got deeper and deeper to receive ball and he played like a quarterback for, 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 for 10, 15 minutes in the second half. And, and quite rightly, Everton dropped off. They knew that Liverpool could have possession and not hurt them. And I thought Liverpool were very, very poor. And a lot of it must now come down to Hodgson. If you buy a player like Koncheski, you're asking for trouble. Koncheski wasn't good enough at West Ham. He wasn't good enough at Charlton. He had a decent uh, year at uh, Fulham. But before that, I, I don't think he's a good player. I've seen so many faults in his game. I've, I've watched him many, many times as a youngster. Never thought he was good enough for the Premier League, let alone Liverpool. You're lucky your fellow member of the Shaven Headed Fraternity, Paddy Barkley, isn't here because he'd set you straight on that. Um, Tony, I, I wanted to, to, to just get from you a sense. I mean, Stuart said that uh, you know some of the players aren't fully convinced by, by Hartson. Now, all I got all these years is that you know Benitez wasn't warm and cuddly either. No, um, exactly. So if you don't like Benitez and you don't like Hartson, maybe there's something wrong with these players. Is, is, that, is that what we're saying here? I, I think what we're seeing is that there's been a shift in narrative on Benitez towards the end of his reign and now that he's gone. And at the end of, of the time of the club, the everyone was saying that the, the squad was okay and all it all he needed was a manager who put an arm around them. Now that they got a manager who does that and they're performing even worse, it would be until that the squad that Benitez left is the worst that's ever been bequeathed by a Liverpool manager. So so people are having it always in order to criticise one manager. The, the squad finished seventh last year and it finished seventh, having un- underperformed a lot of the season, having be- struggled with injuries for a lot of the seasons. And that is that is an accurate reflection of that squad's quali- quality. It is a fifth, sixth, seventh eighth squad that's its talent but now Roy Hodgson's come in and he plays a completely different type of football he doesn't press high up the pitch so therefore Torres struggles he he, he marks in a different way the defenders have to do different things and you can just see that he's struggling to get into this Liverpool team what he wants to and, and, and obviously there will be players who will question that and, and that, that is happening we know that which are the that, players that question it who are the players that question it is it still the same old two Carragher and Gerrard who seem no, to be running the club most of the time no, to be fair, I mean, Stephen and Jamie, they, I mean, they have their own feelings on, on Benitez and I think everyone's well aware of that, but uh, I, I think I think with Hodgson, he's, he's struggling more with, with some of the foreign players. You'd, I mean, I mean, yesterday, for example, Hodgson singled out Torres in the press conference, which was a very strange thing to do. He's, it was Matt Dickinson asked the question about collective confidence within the team and Hodgson's reply was, you're talking about one player there and singled out Torres, which was really strange. And I don't know what he was trying to do there. I don't know whether he was trying to trigger a response from Torres, whether he was trying to be little, but it didn't, or, or whether to just question the way journalism works, which he, which Hodgson seems to do a lot. I don't know what his, his motive do think, was. Do you think he feels that as though Torres isn't trying trying hard enough for him? I wonder, does he think that? Yeah, that's something nice, but the... the, the Torres isn't the games last season when he could question Torres' effort. That's not the case this season. The problem this season is he's been deployed in a way that doesn't suit him. He's chasing balls into the corner. He's having a diet of high balls aimed at his head. This is Fernando Torres. Get him in the box three times yesterday. He got in the box and three times he got shots on target. But it's not happened anywhere near enough because Liverpool just aren't playing to his strength. 
to broaden this out, Ollie, I, I, I tried to sort of make a mental list of, you know, if I were John W. Henry, what were the first things, you know, you need to do? Uh, the, the, the first one is obviously reduce the debt. He said he's going to do that to, I, I think it's between uh, two and three million pounds um, uh, yeah. a season servicing the debt. Whereas uh, uh, right now, I think it's, it's, it's certainly north of, of 20 million pounds. That's going to have a big impact. Obviously, the stadium. Now, I, I guess you guys already know this. I was still surprised to see that Liverpool haven't actually issued uh, new season tickets um, since 1996. That's because Liverpool season ticket holders, when they can no longer afford their tickets or when they die or when they move away, they just sort of pass them on to, to their mates. I, so it seems to me that, you know, there's sort of 20, 30,000 people on, on Merseyside who would be willing to show up to watch Liverpool every week and give money to the club. Um, who, who simply can't do it right now. And, and I look, I mean, Liverpool's matchday revenues are, uh, are something like £30 million less per, per annum than, uh, uh, than Chelsea's, uh, despite the fact that Chelsea actually have a smaller ground. Manchester United's are, are more than twice as high. So I'm guessing we can all agree that a new stadium is the first thing that, that uh, John W. Henry has to do, Ollie. Do you know, I, I actually don't think it is the immediate priority. I, I, if you look at that, that, that very well-documented... Um, Sort of waiting list figure. Um, you look at Liverpool's crowds this season; they haven't been filling Anfield for, for since since the season began. But that's Benitez's fault, surely, isn't well, it? Well, oh yes. Um, and the um, and basically, yes, there are however many forty thousand, fifty thousand seasons uh, you know fans on a on a on a on a waiting list. But if the team is playing as they are at the moment, I can't see people snapping up season tickets. Tony, uh, are you on board with this? Because, I mean, actually, it's a counter-argument to, to Ollie. I, I throw up uh, uh, Spurs, who um, actually have very good match day revenues, despite the fact that for many years they had a, you know, a, a pretty mediocre uh, pretty mediocre side, simply because um, they, they were very aggressive in, in trying to, to fill out the stadium and getting the fans to spend money. I, th I think Liverpool is slightly different in that a lot of the support that Liverpool are looking to bring into Anfield is not from the city. It's from beyond, it's from other parts of the British Isles, it's from Europe, it's from even further afield than that. But the only people, the only way you're going to get people to travel, to watch a football team, travel that far and spend that kind of money regularly, is if there's, there's good football on show. And I, I think that's where I, I do agree with Ollie. The football at the moment is, is abject, there's no question about that. And that's why you're seeing attendance drop off. It's very expensive. It, Liverpool is still a city which is deprived, which doesn't have the kind of wealth of other cities. Tottenham, Tottenham doesn't have the, those kind of issues so Tottenham could do things that Liverpool can't Liverpool can't keep high prices high and not offer a good product on the pitch because people just simply can't afford to, to pay to watch something which is a, a, a inferior product and they're not going to do it either the, the people are very disillusioned with the club in this part of the world at the moment so there's all those issues which mean that Liverpool have to first they have to get the club right because the club hasn't been right for far too long and then they have to resolve the, the issues on the pitch and then once they've done that they can start addressing the stadium issue but if they do the stadium issue first then I think they could just make, be making the problem even bigger than it already well, well, look is. At Arsenal. Ever since Arsenal went to the Emirates they haven't won a trophy I mean, and Liverpool aren't in that position where when Arsenal went there they were fourth or fifth in the table when they the last season at, at uh, Highbury if Liverpool go now to a new stadium and, and won't have the money to spend on players they could end up being relegated and then you've got a real problem and you go you, you would go and watch Arsenal for the football for the quality yeah, of football exactly, the football yeah. purists you wouldn't go and see Liverpool for that reason no I, I like many I watched Tom Hicks's uh, interview and um, I, I mean Tony a, there was talk of a one billion pound lawsuit and so on has this guy gone away 
for good or do you, do you think it's realistic that, that he's going to go back and sue the club but more importantly is he just going to go and, and sue RBS or Broughton which I really don't care about because Broughton's filthy rich and RBS uh, um, is, is, is a bank albeit one owned by the taxpayer um, or, or, or is there a chance that, that this could have repercussions on Liverpool Football Club itself that's the fear he, I mean Hicks is examining his legal options now uh, he, there's nothing to stop him chasing the club now there's nothing to stop him chasing personal damages from, from the directors and from, from Broughton and probably RBS as well he's he's a, he's a man on the brink and, on so many fronts and, and Tom Hicks is not the kind of character who'll just walk away and accept his fate I think he's going to keep on fighting and all the rumblings I'm hearing is that uh, there could be legal ramifications for the next couple of years, which if so, and if they do impact on the club, it'll just be, it'll, it will be, and I hesitate to use the word, but it will be disastrous because Liverpool cannot become embroiled in the kind of situation that they've been in for the last fortnight in, in courtrooms throughout the land, the sense of attention, because as much as people say it's not a distraction, it is. Everyone was talking about Liverpool last week and anyone who thinks the players weren't and the manager weren't is kidding themselves. Okay, I would lots more we could talk about uh, Liverpool here, um, but let's move on to United and West Brom. Um, the game finished two-two. I think it's uh, it's the umpteenth time this year that United have let uh, a two-goal lead slip away and, and happen at home, nonetheless. But I we have to start with uh, um, all of your exclusive in, uh, in Monday's game uh, about Wayne Rooney. Uh, you want to sum it? You want to sum it up for us and uh, tell us how you see things shaking out? Um, well, I got a call yesterday telling me that um, Rooney had informed United that not only the contracts were on talks were on hold, which which had previously been known to be the case, but that he was not under any circumstances going to sign a new contract with the club. That his relationship with Alex Ferguson was um, irreparable, as he sees it, in the short term, uh, maybe long term who knows and um, and that he wants out he's made the decision that he, he wants out and I think it's as simple as that uh, Stuart is this I mean you were a footballer did you, when, when you had contracts coming up of course Rooney's contract expires in 2012 um, but did you ever resort to such uh, um, well I, I, I suppose I was uh, I was player of the year in, in whatever it was 86 and then George Graham took over um, and I didn't like George Graham at all. I didn't like his, his style of play at the time. I didn't know he was going to be successful. It was his first season. I didn't like the manner in which he dealt with the players. I didn't like the manner in which he dealt with me. Uh, and I, my contract was up at the end of the year, and I did everything. He did everything to get rid of me, and I did everything to go. So I, I moved to West Ham for a lot of money. I wanted to go to Everton, but he made me go to West Ham. So, you, you know, once you, once you fall out with the manager, I, I fell out with Bobby Gould as well, it's very difficult to repair that damage. Very difficult. And then the player is always looking to go somewhere else um tony what what gets me in this story is it seems that a a lot of this information um about i mean correct me if i'm wrong here um about what's going on between the two of them isn't coming from the rooney camp it's coming from united and therefore and maybe i'm just being a bit conspiratorial here um has the blessing of of ferguson and or gill even though of course tonight they've denied such a rift um what's your take the funny thing is, that last summer someone told me, someone, someone involved in football but not at a particularly high level, uh, actually told me that Rooney was unsettled, he was unhappy. I mean, I, th- I think he was already doing the rounds by then anyway, so it was no, it was no great surprise. But he, he, he said to me that Manchester City had already made an approach to him 
and we're offering big, big money. Uh, and I, I, I sort of talk about a pinch of salt. You hear these stories all the time, but you just wonder. You, that, that, that the last, the last couple of days have made you wonder just what, what the situation is. Is Rooney has Rooney been agitating for a move? Would United, with their financial situation, be happy to let him go? Because Ferguson will know better than anyone else whether he feels he's, he's got the most out of the player that he can. He will also know whether he, he feels that the, the player is now maybe getting too big for his boots so so you just wonder whether all those things combined have created this situation where United would be happy to let him go and therefore there's information come out from their side of things because uh, I, th- I think it's now very clear that he will be moving on uh, and I find it terribly sad because for me Wayne Rooney and Manchester United have been a perfect fit I, th- I think he'd be he's he became the player that he is under the tutelage of Alex Ferguson. So for him to fall out with him so so markedly is, is sad for him, sad for United. And I think it'll be sad for football because I'm, I'm of the opinion that wherever Rooney goes now, we won't we won't see him play in the same way that we saw him play at United the season before last. Ollie, uh, Wayne Rooney turns uh, 25 years old uh, this week. I, I'm just wondering if there is tension between him and Fergie. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, while it does seem that Fergie's eternal, um, I believe he's 69 years old, or he's about to turn 69. Wouldn't Rooney figure that he's going to outlast even Sir Alex at, uh, at at Old Trafford, and that you know maybe it makes sense to bide your time a little bit and see how see the way things shake out a little bit, like perhaps the way Roy Keane did back in the day. I mean, people forget that Roy Keane only uh, you know let his contract run all the way down before he extended it. Yeah, that that was my um, that, that that was a, a theory that I put to the people who were giving me. <laughs> Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Um, Information last night, and I said, look, surely, surely this will blow over, surely... You know, it's a negotiating tactic. Surely, um, surely, you know, things aren't that bad. Surely, you can, um, you can sort of tolerate a few more months uh, of this, or you know, which you'll have to anyway because of the transfer window, or, or, or wait till the end of the season and see how, how the land lies. But apparently, uh, and this is, you know, this is this has come right back. I mean, the, the situation is impossible, ir- irretrievable, irreparable. Call it what you like. Um, 
Do you know what, the, the, the thing that um, struck me last night as more and more of this came out and speaking to people around the, around the club and around the dressing room, I'm actually surprised he was even in the 18 on, on, on uh, Saturday, having not played the previous couple of matches. Uh, things are apparently that bad that you know I'm surprised I'm surprised he was in the 18, and uh, I just wonder whether whether he'll figure um, on Wednesday in the Champions League against uh, Bursa Sport. Very bearing in mind the um, I mean this circus is is just going to get bigger and bigger. Have any oh, players yeah. rowed with rowed with Sir Alex Ferguson and then come back? You know you look at Van Nistelrooy he did and then was left uh, obviously sold. You look at David Beckham he got sold and Ronaldo you know after that, that, got sold. That, that's a popular narrative that you know that Sir Alex is happy to have out there. But I mean I know for a fact one player who rowed violently with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and then had his way. And, and that's Roy Keane. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that Wayne Rooney is a Roy Keane type figure, but you know it was Roy Keane who ultimately was responsible for Juan Sebastian Veron leaving Old Trafford. That was that was a flat out row, and that was a situation where Sir Alex backed up. Now it might have been the only time in his career, but I I just wonder. I mean, if if you're the bean counter, if if you're Gill, if you're Glazers, if they take an interest in this. And they have to they have to weigh the two things up. I mean, as great as Sir Alex has been, he's got a lot of miles on the clock. Mm. Wayne Rooney's got you know eight or nine years of top level football left in him. Uh, are we sure that they're going to throw all their support behind Sir Alex if the situation is really that bad? They might have some backing up from the sports scientists who are saying we're looking at Wayne Rooney's lifestyle, what he gets up to off the field, whether it, whatever it be, and he's actually not going to get fitter. He's going to get worse and worse as the time goes on. You know, even when you look at his body shape, it's not a great body shape for a footballer. I mean, he is powerful, he does run, but he's, I, he still carries a little bit of, of fat on him. And I, if the sports scientists look at it sometimes, they can say actually he's getting he's getting less fit with each season. I would have thought that his off-field activities actually helped his fitness. He seems to be quite strenuous off the pitch. There doesn't seem to be. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but no, I, I, just Ollie, just I mean, this is a loaded question anyway. So I've got my own theories on on what will, will happen. But if if Wayne, Wayne Rooney does leave Manchester United, who do you think will be at the top of Ferguson's wish list? Um, well, you, you look at the the cash that Man United have got for you know uh, have raised over the last. Um, you know, the last year or so, the sales of Ronaldo. Ferguson has been telling everybody that there's no value in the transfer market. Well, why should that change just because they've sold Wayne Rooney for what would no doubt be a knockdown price? I mean, if, if, if there's no value, if they've still got money uh, burning a hole in, uh, you know, the, their pocket as, as they like to uh, suggest. You know, who who is to say that United go out and sanction a hundred million pound spending streak? So you could just replace Rooney with Kiko Makeda then, and Bob's your uncle, right? Or or or, or Bebe or Maram, what's it called, Man Biram Diouf or Danny Welbeck. You know, the, obviously the, the succession is, has been planned uh, meticulously. But well, um, can, can, can I answer that question at you though? Uh, what I floated before, if you are Malcolm Glazer. Or, or or whatever, and I know it's, it may not be the, the, what you want to think about at this time <laughs> of the morning, but you have to make a. If, if if the situation is as bad as it's being depicted, if you have to choose between Sir Alex and Rooney, who do you choose? Logically, given the given the um, the, the things we've talked about, given the you know the the fact that Rooney is a whatever fifty million pound asset, he's he's. Young, he's got years ahead of him. Logically, you you would probably say um, Rooney, but I don't think I don't, I don't think United can possibly um, say you know put put one player's interests and one player's uh, agendas and one player's you know 
hissy fit, really, um, albeit a big one, ahead of the club and ahead of a manager like Alex Ferguson. Although it might make sense financially, logically, um, to, to back Rooney and, 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 and usher Fergie towards the door, I, I just think that would be I, I just think that would be the worst thing they've done in their history, and I, I don't see them doing that at all. But surely an even worse scenario is Rooney gets sold for not much money, um, Sir Alex retires and, and Gil leaves to go run the FA or do whatever else he wants to do and then all of a sudden it's no Rooney no Gil no Fergie well they, they, United have to United have to weigh that up um, at the moment I, I would I would guess they're being advised by um, by their manager the head of the football department if you, if you want to talk, mm. you know in sort of uh, stupid HR terms that this guy is his attitude is all wrong. He's he's not doing it on the pitch. He thinks he's bigger than the club. He's he's presumably asking for money that United aren't willing to pay, and and he's presumably being offered more money uh, elsewhere. I see this ending only one way. I was deeply sceptical when I got the first couple of calls on it yesterday, um, but the more I mean, the more um, the more calls I make, the more people I speak to, the more this seems like it's bigger bigger than. You know, far bigger than I imagined. Far bigger than um, a far bigger problem than than, than I envisaged there the being last week. And it, it just points to one thing, which is Rooney leaving, whether it's in January or or in the summer. West Brom fans, please, please accept my apologies. I hope you understand that this week we can't do too much talking about your team, but suffice to say, my man Robbie D is doing a fantastic, fantastic job. I thought was very impressed with West Brom. Even two goals down, they kept going for it. Uh, they play football the right way. No Peter Otamingi. By the way, United, I thought, were an absolute mess defensively. Would have liked to analyze it with you, Stuart, today. Mm. And it's not just van der Sar. I've had enough of people talking. He's the top goalkeeper in the world, top five or whatever. Um, I, 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 I think, actually, he has made more than one screw up in his career when he was younger and uh, the positioning seems all over the place defensively for, for, for United As we can't just blame everything on Ever and the World Cup hangover of course and, not I mean but West Brom for the first half were abysmal the, you know you may say Di, Roberto Di Matteo West Brom played well they were abysmal in the first half defensively they tried to play a high offside line the two fullbacks kept on going back in Manchester United let the game slip this wasn't the West Brom that came to the Emirates and outplayed Arsenal all over the field and pressed high up the pitch they were scared of the game West Brom to start with and they got lucky in the end and then the last 20-25 minutes they then started to play as they should have done and how they played against Arsenal at the Emirates they defended well all around the field they counter-attacked with pace and, 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 and real purpose and they looked a good side again but for the first 60-70 minutes they were a poor side West Brom alright so Robbie D if you're listening please heed Stuart Robson's advice don't get too big for your boots you were rubbish in the first half <laughs> huge story in the Sunday Times yesterday our sister new paper the Insight team basically doing uh, doing a bit of uh, undercover reporting uh, and investigative journalism uh, what they did was for those who missed the story is they posed as uh, consultants for a consortium of American companies linked to uh, uh, the United States World Cup bid. Um, of course, the United States not involved with anything. Just want to make the clear legal disclaimer here. Uh, but what they did was they approached um, sort of FIFA fixer types, um, members of the executive committee. And what seems to emerge from this is that um, there are at least two members of the executive committee that if you as a private company um, say, hey, listen, I'm willing to donate uh, uh, some artificial pitches uh, to your constituency, your country, um, they can guarantee a vote for the candidate of your choice. Um, that's certainly uh, what was suggested here. Now, FIFA are not commenting on it. They've gone on lockdown. They've advised all their uh, executive committee members 
not to talk about this. Um, the, the first question I want to throw out to, to you, Wally, is we're often so cynical about FIFA and, and, and corruption and so on. So the, the question comes naturally. Um, are you surprised? No, I'm surprised that anybody was um, uh, willing to um, to say so much, albeit tacitly, I suppose. But um, no, I'm not surprised at all. I think um, I think it's a great story and a great get from the Sunday Times and um, and so on. But it's um, no, not not even vaguely surprised that that, that that this kind of thing goes on. And um, I guess the question is whether. Um, you know whether that it is in, in any way acceptable that there might be some kind of uh, implied trade-off for votes. Now, hey, uh, Tony, I, I know you're a keen follower of politics, and I, the, generally the, the the way it works, um, I would assume, is if, if if I'm a politician and I need your vote, I, you know, I I might go and, and build a, a playground or a school or some roads in your area, and uh, um, and you back me. Um, is this so different? No, I don't think it is. It's, it's, I, I think what you're referring to there is a kind of plan and game situation where a big company, say McDonald's, will come in and say, we want that site. And in return, we'll put on a pedestrian crossing. In. So so the kids can obviously cross the road to the McDonald's in safety while they go and get the heart disease and the burgers and all the rest of it. <laughs> so that that kind of thing does happen. And once that kind of thing, plan and gain, I think it is a dangerous precedent in politics. So, so it, I don't think it is such a major leap from that to to the more corporate way, where people say, well, well, in return for your vote, I will uh, I will give you money. I don't see what the massive leap is there, and I think that kind of precedent that we allow to to flourish in 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 the normal world economy is is one which, if it's in the wrong hands, it is is twisted in such a way it's tweaked and and. It's, as everyone knows, as soon as there's money involved, there's big money to be gained. There's going to be somewhere down the food chain, there's going to be someone who's going to be accepting backhanders. And I, th- I think that, that, as Ollie said, the only surprise in this case is that anyone will, will be surprised. It's a massive, massive tournament to work up for the local economy, for, for whoever wins it. So there will be people who will be willing to go to extra lengths to try and get it. And the worry is that there'll be people on the other end who will help them do that. And so, so I don't know how you get around that. I, if there's, if there's so much money involved, then there'll always be people trying to take advantage of it. Stuart, if, if some faceless uh, uh, money-grubbing corporation uh, uh, pledges to build uh, a bunch of uh, uh, artificial pitches in, in Country X um, in exchange for, for their vote for the World Cup, um, it was, it, would it be really naive for me to say that ultimately the kids will be able to use those artificial pitches in Country X might be the ones who benefit? Well, they could benefit, but it'd be interesting to see whether what England are offering these uh, some of these delegates uh, for, their, for their vote. You know, surely England are offering nothing but a wonderful time when they get here. Oh, well, I'm sure they aren't. I'm sure there's all sorts of things that can go on. It, it won't just be. Uh, we always sort of say all the 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 other people are doing it. Uh, I'm sure that England have, have offered something in return. Well, not not always illegal, but they've offered something in return for votes. I I, I, I should point out that one of these uh, executive uh, committee members, and I think this this will come out today in the press if it hasn't already. Um, the the Nigerian um, gentleman, Amos Sadamu, he says that he smelled a rat from day one, and that he reported um, the, the these meetings, you know, before the Sunday Times story came out, and that he was actually trying to uh, do a bit of investigative work on his own. That you know he'd been offered these inducements. Well, we'll see if who believes him and 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 whether and and, and how this all plays out. Um, but uh, Ollie, um 
there's suggestions that uh, the, 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 the decision, which is due for early December in Zurich, ought to be delayed. Um, I mean, if you were Sepp Blatter, um, what would you do? For well, the good of the game, of course. Do you know what I would do if I was Sepp Blatter? I would, I would turn the clock back about six or ten years to, to, to when the, um, the first more serious um, allegations of corruption came against FIFA and the executive committee, and I would investigate it very fully and very properly at that point. I think um, I think FIFA have been very complacent and um, very, um, let's say, dismissive um, about the um, about previous allegations of stuff that's far more serious than this. I don't want to go into it here. Um, and You're talking about I, credit card stuff. Well, yeah, and and, yes. and, and, and other stuff. And, it's all on the record. Google it. Uh, there's, a new, there's a judgment in a New York court. I'm going to be very careful what I say next, but you can go and look at it if you like. Yeah, but but I mean, there's, I mean, it, 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 it is very very clear to anybody who's um, who, who's bidding those for the World Cup that it, it's not just the case of who's got the best stadium, who's got the best infrastructure, who's got the best transport, etc. You know, who, who's got the you know the biggest TV audience, fans, etc. It's about um, you know, it's about scratch my back, scratch, you know, I'll scratch yours. To say that England aren't doing it, similar things is, is completely naive. Last month we had David Beckham in Trinidad um, launching a, a football academy there. Was it a coincidence that it was Trinidad? No, because they've been, um, you know, because Jack Warner is on the um, on the FIFA committee. They previously went out to Trinidad to play a game. They're desperate to, to get Jack Warner's vote because Warner is seen as the key to four or five other votes. You know, England are doing things in the hope of getting votes. It's just this um, slightly murkier situation where a, a guy is on camera saying, yes, I will vote uh, if you do this. And um, that that is more of a problem, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Tony, I, I threw this question at Ollie before. I'm going to throw it at you. Um, if you were if you were Sepp Blatter, um, what would you do immediately about the, the bidding process for, for 2018, 2022? Would you allow these, um, you know, uh, uh, these two exco members to, to vote? What, 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 what are your options? I think there's got to be a, a thorough investigation of, of exactly what they said and what they plan to do. And, and if, if, if the gentleman in question did lodge an official notification that is with the uh, Nigerian FA to, to the effect that he knew there was a problem and that someone was trying to stitch him up or that there was some corruption coming his way, then then he has to be exonerated. If that's not the case, though, and, and maybe the complaint came after he was outed or or some way down the line, and I think I think his participation would have to be in doubt. But but you, you can't have any faith in FIFA doing the right thing. That that's the thing that football fans have become used to. Whatever it is, be it racism, corruption. They, they do play a Pontius Pilate role. They let things happen and they let it get to situations whereby you do get national newspaper exposés and they shouldn't be allowed to get to that stage because they will be aware of anyone. They will be at committee meetings where someone will say, I think this person needs a little bit looking at and I don't think they ever act on that kind of information. And it's, as, as I said, it's exactly the same with racism. They allow it to go pretty much unpunished with the kind of stupid fines which make no difference and they do turn a similar blind eye to corruption unless they do come down on it properly and this is a good opportunity to do so then it will continue so let's move on to what i like to call quick hits and my producer chris skinner foolishly still calls off the fence Battle lines are drawn. Uh, Danny Murphy and Arsene Wenger on one side, Big Sam, Tony Pulis and Mick McCarthy from Barnsley on the other. It's, it all seems so simple. 
But then we get Jack Wilshire's tackle on Saturday. Ollie, where does this rank, and does it leave Wenger and the rest of the purists with egg on their faces? Well, I think the moment that um, Arsenal had a player sent off or for, for that kind of tackle, or, or Fulham perhaps had a player like that sent off, or Danny Murphy gets booked for a late tackle, there was going to be, you know, a lot, an awful lot of people pointing fingers and saying, "Ah, you're just as bad as us." And I, th- I don't think that kind of polarisation of the debate is healthy. I think M- Murphy made some good points, some excessive points. I think Wenger's made some extremely good points. Um, no, there we go. I'm go- I'll, I'll be quick, but um, I-, I think there's a very legitimate debate to be had, but it- it's not very healthy when it's so polarised and people are just one side or the other. Aston Villa hold Chelsea to a nil-nil draw. Uh, Stuart, what is Jared Houllier doing right? Well, at the moment, he's keeping the good things that Martin O'Neill instilled in his team. Uh, he's got some good shape, but he's also now rotating his players, which Martin O'Neill didn't do. So he got Bay at right back, uh, uh, Rio Coca came into the team. And he keeps swapping Ashley, Cole, Ashley Young's position around. When he thinks he can play him behind the front player and cause problems, he does that. When he needs to make sure his midfield is tight, he plays him out on the left wing. He's doing a good job at the moment, and they look a fairly strong side. Yeah, Rio Coker ran around like a maniac in that game. I think he probably had a lot to prove. <laughs> he certainly had a lot to prove. Yeah. Spurs beat Fulham 2-1, but there's a cloud over Tom Huddleston's goal. First, the linesman disallows it for William Gallus' offside. Then referee Mike Dean gives it, supposedly because Gallus was not interfering with play. Uh, Tony, you understand the rule, don't you? Was Dean yeah, right? It was the right decision. The, the linesman was right to raise his flag to alert the referee that a player was an offside position, but the referee took everything into account and decided that the, the player who was, who was ruled offside wasn't interfering with play, and that to me is the way it should be, and I, I don't actually understand the controversy. Similar situation yesterday with Yakubu, who clearly was interfering with play, and he stood right in front of Pepe Reina for Mikel Arteta's goal, but the linesman didn't raise his flag, so the referee couldn't deem whether he was interfering, but I think, I think the referee at the space game was absolutely right. Look like interference to me, but what do I know? Not not good camera angles, put it that way. Gab, one for you. Barcelona came from behind to beat uh, Valencia 2-1, but things aren't quite right there, are they? Uh, no, they're, they're far from it. I think uh, it was a tremendous halftime turnaround. Uh, I thought Barcelona were very poor in the first half against Valencia. But the the, the big deal here is that uh, the club has voted to uh, sue the former president, Joan Laporta. Um, the internal uh, audit conducted by the current president uh, shows that instead of the uh, £7.9 million profit that uh, uh, Laporta said they had, uh, they actually had a loss of nearly £70 million last year. And uh, they have... Uh, debts of some 376 million uh, which doesn't make for good reading especially with financial fair play around the corner uh, it seems to me there's a lot of issues to uh, sort out off the pitch and uh, as good as Pep Guardiola is um, he won't have much impact there thanks for sharing your time with us you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk for all your news your gossip your analysis and also our web chats I do mine on Mondays Ollie K does his on Wednesdays there are others dotted throughout the week Game Podcast will be back next week, albeit without me, Alison Rudd, qualified referee, will be in the chair. Join her. Join her.